Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning. We're so grateful to be in the presence of Almighty God. We are so grateful to have our spirits filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. God, we're so grateful that we don't have to go into the temple anymore, but Lord, your presence surrounds us. Lord, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus and that the temple veil was torn in two so that we have direct access to the power of God and that relationship with Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that the blood is no longer having to be shed day in and day out, but that there was an eternal sacrifice that was made through Jesus Christ, your son, that our sins are forever redeemed that our sins are forever nailed to the cross and that condemnation no longer exists under the power and the blessing of Jesus. Father, we thank you that we now have the access to eternal life if we choose to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Father, we come with hearts full of gratitude this morning for everything that you have done for us, God, and the plan that you set forth from the beginning to redeem us, Father. And we come this morning, Lord, with thankful hearts, with humble hearts into the presence of Almighty God to worship you because we no longer have to bring a sacrifice of birds or goats or lambs because you were the ultimate sacrifice. But God, now you have requested a sacrifice of praise and Lord, I pray that we bring a sacrifice that is worthy of a God who is great and who is mighty and who is magnificent and who is all-knowing and all-superior and who is above all things. So we come this morning to praise that God and to worship Jesus, our Savior. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Whatever comes, whatever goes, there is one thing that I know is you are faithful. You are faithful. So I speak out your word. It has the power to change my world. And you're my breakthrough. You're my breakthrough. I will trust you.
won't prosper And when the darkness falls It won't prevail Cause the God I serve Knows only how to triumph And my God will never fail And my God will never fail And I'm gonna see a victory I'm gonna see a victory for the
Romans 5, 1 and 2 says this. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's what I woke up to this morning, this song in my soul, that I will rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That because of Jesus Christ, God says I am justified because of Jesus Christ. The hostility I once had with God the Father no longer exists. I don't stand in my works. I don't stand in my hard work. I stand in grace and I rejoice in the hope of the glory of God given to me through his gift, Jesus Christ. Don't be downcast this morning. Don't be upset. Don't be depressed. Be full of hope. You have hope. Rejoice in the glory of God this morning. We give God praise. I just want to remind you as you leave, you can continue to praise God through your giving of tithes and offering in our tithe boxes. Or you can continue to give online. We're going to say our declaration this morning. Let's say these things together in faith today. Lord, by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. And we declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Today, God, we stand in your grace. We rejoice in you. Let this place be full of hope and peace in Jesus' name. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. This is how I fight my battles 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 This
praise the Lord. I'm just going to ask if you'll remain standing just a little longer. I'm going to read pastor's text for him this morning. We're taking the same text that we took last week. Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 3. And then we're going to jump over to chapter 47, 1 and 2. Ezekiel 8, 3. And then chapter 47, 1 and 2. And this is what the word of the Lord says. And he put forth the form of an hand and took me by a lock of mine head and the spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem to the door of the inner gate that looketh toward the north where was the seat of the image of jealousy which provoketh to jealousy chapter 47 1 and 2 afterward he brought me again unto the door of the house, and behold, waters issued from under the threshold of the house eastward. For the forefront of the house stood toward the east, and the waters came down from under from the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. Then brought he me out of the way of the gate northward and led me about the way without unto the utter gate by the way that looketh eastward. And behold, there ran out waters on the right side. Lord, we thank you that this word endures. Lord, we stand on you, Lord Jesus. We stand on your word this morning. And I just pray, God, that your will be done. And I pray that our pastor has the liberty of the spirit of God and the power of the spirit to God of God to deliver your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. It's good to see everybody here. What a great congregation that we have here today. Great attendance. We thank you for coming out to the house of the Lord. But this week we're going to pick up where we left off last Sunday and we're, uh, we've been preaching a series called Rise Up. Last week was an important message. I can't expound on it because we did cover a lot of material. We covered a, over a span of many years throughout the book of Ezekiel there. So those of you that wasn't here, you might want to go back and listen to next week's or last week's message so that you can kind of have an introduction of where we're going at today and help you to understand the message today. But before I start in the message, I want us to realize that the messages that I I'm preaching about rising up is all tied to our commission or it's our commandment of the Lord or our, our mission from the Lord. And that is that you and I are called to be a remnant church. We are called to make a difference in the land in which we live. You and I are called to be a people that are a catalyst to change America back to becoming a godly nation. How many know that? How many really realize that? That is our command. That is our commission. And everything that I'm going to be preaching is tied to that about us having a mandate placed upon us as a palace of praise to be a remnant people, a godly people that can make a change and spare our nation from judgment. But the first part of Ezekiel's ministry pivots on the destruction of Jerusalem and the people being carried off into Babylonian captivity. As we said last week, Ezekiel, along with 10,000 other nobles, princes, and priests were carried off into Babylonian captivity in the second wave of Nebuchadnezzar's invasion. This happened happened 11 years after the first invasion when Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been carried away. This 11-year span, as we said last week, was designed to give Judah ample time to repent. But to no avail, Judah would not repent, and as a result of it, they were carried away also. There's a lot of things that could be spared from our lives if we would just repent. If we would just repent, God would turn his anger toward us. Can I have an amen? How many knows that if my people, which are called by my name, shall hum themselves and pray and seek my face 
and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sins and I will heal their land. All Judah had to do in those 11 years span was to heed to the word of the Lord and repent and they would not have been carried away. But nevertheless, to no avail, they would not repent. This 11 year span was there by the grace of God. And so they were carried off because of their lack of repentance. At first, after Ezekiel's captivity and him being relocated, it seemed like that Ezekiel conforms to just living an ordinary life. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live an ordinary life. I, 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 I don't want to just be ordinary. How, how many want to be extraordinary? Can I have an amen? Are we not Pentecostal? I don't want to, I, I know that, 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 that we live in the flesh and I understand the humanity of us all, but I want to tell you there's a spiritual side of us that cannot just settle for ordinary. We, you and I are not called to ordinary. We are called to be extraordinary. Can I have, we're called to have supernatural happenings among us. But here's Ezekiel. He's just put into captivity. He's just going to live an ordinary life in exile. It appears he just begins to accept the fact that he's in exile. He can't do anything about it. So he begins to actually build his home and family there. As a matter of fact, the scripture even gives us some indication. It tells us that he owned their home in a place called Tel Aviv by the, by the river Chabar. They, him and his wife just kind of conformed. They settled. They set up residence there in exile. And it seemed destined to them. And they, and they had no other choice, they felt like, but to live an ordinary life in captivity, making the best that they can. And, and this is somewhat what America is doing right now. We continually degress. We continually decrease. And we're just learning how to adapt to the, de, uh, the, the decrease. We're learning how to adapt by each little thing that's being taken. How many understands we don't have the freedoms in America that we once had? How many knows that America's collapsing right before our eyes? Do you not see it? Wake up, oh America, we're in trouble. And yet we've just learned to adapt like, well, this is the way it's going to be. There's nothing we can do about it. We're just going to adapt to the decrease. I'm not adapting to the decrease. I'm proclaiming progression to the power of the Holy Spirit. I am praying and believing for turnaround. I'm not going to settle for second best when God wants us to have the best. I don't know about you, but God wants you to have more than what you got now and the things that you desire can't even compare to the things that God wants to give you. So why sit around and settle for something second rate or something second best? God wants to bless his people. Look at somebody and say, God wants to bless you today. God wants to bless your socks off today. Can I have an amen? But Ezekiel was to be the priest and him being exiled from the tabernacle and from Jerusalem would mean that he had no ministry. He had real no place to serve the Lord. That's how he felt. So what does Ezekiel do? He just sets up life in exile. He accepts it as it is. He's just going to live a normal life just like everybody else. Listen to me, folks. Just because there seems to be a time that you cannot fulfill what you actually feel like you're called to do, there are times when you feel hindered. There are times that you are hindered. There are times that you're restrained and you face circumstances beyond your control that keeps you from performing in the area that you feel called to. It happens to me all the time. But that does not mean that you take up residence and cave into your dilemma and set it as defeat and adapt to just being second mediocre people. I want you to understand it doesn't mean that God doesn't have something else for you to do. Sometimes life and ministry can be packaged different than what you actually perceive. Sometimes we have to step 
aside from the areas we feel called and learn to minister and live right where we're at, taking an advantage of the opportunity. Though things may seem to be bound, those things seems to me to be dark, things ain't like America used to be, then it's time for the church to siege their opportunity. It's an opportunity to be somebody that can make something great. Can I have an amen? But it's not a time just to accept it for what it is and the way that it is. We, the church, have power to change things. Can I have an amen? Sometimes we have to get out of what we're called to do and minister to the now moment that presents itself. If there's one thing that I've learned in ministry, and that is this, sometimes we have to step aside from the areas that we feel called and learn to minister right where we're at, what, right where we're at, taking the opportunity and sieging the time of the moment. And if there's one thing that I've learned also, and that is we have to learn to bloom where we're planted and we have to learn to be fruitful where we are placed. No matter what's going on in our life, God expects spiritual movement in your life. Can I have an amen? The main element of ministry is faithfulness. It precedes everything else that we do. Where there's no faithfulness, I want to tell you, there's real no ministry. There's real no life. Ministry doesn't always have to match up to our expectation or our thought or our idea or, or the, to the calling in which we're called. Sometimes ministry is packaged different than what we think, it has to be, and it has to be delivered different than the way that we think. There is no one single thing that classifies a calling or a person's ministry. It's not just sacrifice that classifies priestly ministry or offerings or intercessory of any of those priestly concepts that we see from the scripture. All ministry must embrace two things, diversity and people's got to be flexible. If there's one thing in these changing times and I'm telling the church, you've got to learn the diversity of the spirit and you've got to learn how to be flexible. Sometimes it's a pastor's job, you know what, to clean the toilet. Sometimes it's a youth pastor's job to mow a lawn. Sometimes it's a worship director's job to build a set. Sometimes it's a choir's job to go before the warriors in battle like Jehoshaphat. Sometimes it's a deacon's job to sweep a floor. Sometimes it's just a common layman's job to preach a funeral or preach a message. And we can go on and on and on and on. There's no such words in the vocabulary of a true child of God that says this, I'm not called to do that. I want to tell you, if the opportunity arises, seize the moment and do it. Amen. We're all called to servanthood and regardless of position or title or calling. As a matter of fact, to qualify for leadership, you know what Jesus said? If you want to be great, if you want to be chief, he says, he that is chief among you, let him be your servant. Before anyone can receive a calling, they have to learn servanthood. God only calls servants. And if you desire a position, a title, a ministry, then learn how to serve. True spiritual leaders use their office to serve instead of using their office or position to be served. However, even though Ezekiel seems to settle in exile, we see God says, that's not good enough for me. That ain't what I've called you to do, Ezekiel. He visits Ezekiel, and he's been in captivity for five years. And then he calls him to be a prophet among the exiles. We talked a little bit about that last week. This was an extraordinary day, extraordinary day in the life of Ezekiel because it happened when he turned 30 years old. That is significant because when he turned 30, it was the very day that he would have started the service in the temple in Jerusalem as a priest. 
priest. He was slaughtered to be the priest. He desired to be the priest. Everything that he hoped for was being that priest. And all of a sudden, here he is in captivity. No temple. No, no, no. Away from Jerusalem. No way to offer, serve God in his calling. And then all of a sudden, the very day that he would look back in, I, while he's in captivity and say, if I'd been back at Jerusalem, today would have been the day that I would have went into my calling. Is the very day that God visits him. Think about that. If there's one thing that I want you to know, God remembers, God don't forget, and let me tell you, God cares. He understands your emotion. He understands your hurt. He understands your pain. But there's one thing that I want you to understand, God redeems lost things. In the casualties, in the war, there's casualties. Where we're at right now in America, there's heartache, there's pain, there's things that we go through as a church as a result of our nation. There's things that happen to me that's not good. But I want you to know God has got a record of every single one of them and he knows my heart and he knows my desire. He sees my intent. He knows what I long for. He knows what I want and God will visit me in my hurt and in my pain and he will redeem that which the enemy tries to steal. There are people right in here in this building with so many lost opportunities, oh, so many hurts, so many pains, things that's happened to you that's, that's unjust, spouses leaving you, divorce, heartache, death. We go on and on and on, and you're sitting out there grieving, and you think, all of my life is turned upside down. I don't understand. God understands. He sees it. Get ready for a divine visitation. As a Levite and a member of the priestly family, the young Ezekiel was brought up with the expectation, I'm going to be a priest in the, temp- in the temple serving God. His whole life pointed to the purpose of ministering before God and being slaughtered for that awful office of priest. Now here he is in exile in a foreign land, no temple, everything he dreamed is crashed around him. We don't think about this. The truth of the matter is the long-term view that we have for ourselves in the future that we believe that God has for our lives, it can change unexpectedly just like that. We get on a spiritual momentum and a spiritual high. We get everything figured out how everything's gonna work out for our lives only for something to come off and knock us off course. Come on, it happens to all of us. There's so much disappointment. And sometimes we wonder, cannot the church win anymore? Where's victory out of the house of God? Every time we get right to the threshold, we're slapped upside the face. All hope is dissipated. Everything turns dark overnight when light had sprung up and gave us hope. But we only the, it only gave us hope just long enough to let us be crushed and hurt all over again. Happens all the time in the believer's life. Rise up, only get slapped back down. Rise up, only go forward four steps and get knocked back three. 
God showed me something in my life one time when it just seemed like that I was up against great opposition and wind was the, the, the wind was bucking me and I'd take four steps and bam, I'd get knocked back three and God said, yeah, but look where you went from. Each time that happened, you gained a step. Can I have an amen? The truth of the matter is the long-term view that we have of ourselves can change just like that. What happens when your expectations fall apart and your dream and your hopes are all crushed? How are you going to act? What are you going to do? What happens when things don't go the way that you thought and your answers to your prayers is the opposite of what you believed or wanted? What happens when nothing shapes up to your perceived thought of how it would happen? Amen? What happens when the horizon of your life changes and everything is different than what you really expected or the picture that you had painted or imagined for your life? 100% of the time, they say, not 999 but this is a statistic that said they went out and they surveyed old ministers and they asked them, is, is, is ministry different than what you perceived in your old age? When you look back on ministry, is it different than what you perceived that when you were young? And 100% of the ministers said, oh, yes. There is no comparison between the two. The things I thought, the things I perceived, the things that I dreamed when I was young, and then when I look at it now as an older minister, they can't even be compared to the way that reality really is. Amen? Let me ask you the question here this morning. What happens if the awakening that we believe is to happen is it packaged the way that we thought? What happens if revival doesn't come in the way that we dreamed or designed it or packaged it or imagined? What happens if revival comes because China comes over here and invades us and splits our families and takes us into captivity and we're all scattered all over the place and we're sitting there and that's the only thing that's going to bring revival to America? What would your attitude and what would your heart be like now? You say, oh my goodness, don't talk like that. That's where Ezekiel's at. Are we going to be like Ezekiel and be able to accept and embrace change and serve God? Or are we going to be stuck in the midst of expectation, let down and defeated and become bitter and mad at God? Our expectation can either kill us or empower us. We have to believe, we have to expect, we have to dream because these are all the elements of faith. We have to have faith. But even though that we must believe something's going to change and something's going to happen, something's going to come to pass, yet you and I cannot package it or fabricate it or manufacture it. It has to be a design of God. Ezekiel had to believe that his future was in the Father's hands and he had to trust the sovereignty of God for the design, divine position that God wanted to give him. Can I tell you here this morning that no change takes God by surprise and there's nothing that he cannot redeem. If you've lost something, you feel like the enemy's stolen something from your life, then know that God knows how to not only redeem it, but to make it greater and better and stronger than what you ever expected. Oh, hang with me, folks. I'm getting to my sermon. Because I want to tell you, this church has suffered a lot of loss. You ready? Redemption's on its way. Do you hear the word of the prophet here today? Some of you have lost some valuable... Get ready! Because I want to tell you the things that you've lost can't compare to the things that God's about to fall into your lap in the name of Jesus. So now instead of Ezekiel being a priest only, Ezekiel's called him to be a prophet at the same year that he would have been the priest, so he's priest and prophet. His office would be added to. It would become a dual role. Instead of being depleted, it would grow. Amen? 
in the midst of your confusion, in the midst of your frustration, in the midst of your depletion, God can be doing his greatest work. He can be exalting you and building you, and you don't even know it. In your weakness, God is made strong. And remember what the name Ezekiel means? God strengthens. And right now, because we are, a, we are what we call a remnant church, we are a people of faith that is not cowed down to the woke culture. We're a people that will stand up and speak against it, talk against it. We're preaching the word of the Lord. The enemy is coming in like a flood. Demonic, we've been talking about this. Demonic oppression is all over the place. People are fighting with their lives like they never fought before, but it really doesn't matter because in our weakness, he is made strong, and before the smoke settles, uh, instead of being depleted, we're growing. Can you say amen to that? Not only would Ezekiel prophesy as a prophet, but the mantle of preaching would fall upon old Ezekiel and he'd have to go around preaching. So now you have a priest, prophet, and preacher on your hands. He was the first preacher to preach to the captive exiles because they had been in captivity for five years and hadn't heard a preacher. And did you know that God spoke to me and he said, today, Ken, I'm looking for those who will embrace my voice. I'm looking for those who I can enter and trust my message and my anointing with, uh, who will build faithfully upon the foundations uh, of those that's gone on before. God was able to bless and multiply Ezekiel's ministry, using him to prophesy to generations to come because he found a man in who he could trust, one who would be faithful and not allow his misguided expectations rob him of God's leading. Ezekiel was able to allow God to redirect his calling, redirect his life, redirect his ministry, his anointing. And I want you to know everything Ezekiel dreamed and expected was outside of the scope of God's design for his life. And he had to allow God to pull in the reins. God had to make some changes. God had to make some adjustments in the life of Ezekiel and Ezekiel allowed him. And God is saying, I gotta make some changes. I've gotta make adjustments among the 21st century church for that which is about to come. We've got to be willing to allow God to adjust things in our lives in order to embrace the better work that's about to come. Can I have an amen? He had to learn how to flow outside of his so-called giftedness and outside of his expectation of his calling. It is here and Ezekiel finds great stress because he's called to be a prophet. He's called to preach and he goes out and he must be questioning God at this particular point because he goes out and preaches but to no avail. They wouldn't listen to him. Amen? Some of the things we all have to learn is this. Listen to me. Number one, just because God has called us to do something doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And number two, just because God calls us to do something doesn't mean everyone else is going to notice it, believe in it, and support us. Number three, just because God calls you to do something doesn't mean that there will be automatic success and growth instantaneously. Ezekiel has the great experience where he's called of God to be this prophet. He sees the splendor of God, the glory of God. Literally, the Bible says the heavens open. He's seen the throne of God. He's got all this energy, all the, the lights and wheels and the things, that the spirit beings that he's seen and he described. He's 30 years old when this happens. He's a young man on fire. Man, he's coming out and he's got this zeal. He's got this fire. And he begins to start prophesying he begins to start preaching, and I'm, I'm sure he'd come out thinking, I'm going to take the world by storm. Well, within about five days, we're going to be back to Israel because, God, when I get ready, when I get what I feel inside of me delivered to the people, the Holy Ghost is going to fall, and when the Holy Ghost falls, man, there's going to be revival. There's going to be instant change, and when there is, God's going to pick us up, and he's going to allow us to go back home. That's what Ezekiel thought. 
So here's this young Ezekiel full of fire. Everything's bottled up inside of him. He's coming back seeing a vision of the Lord. And man, he's walking on tall cotton and he's walking as a prophet of God. His chest is poked out. He's full of confidence and assurance. He's a spirit man. He's got the spirit behind him. Everything that is energized by what he feels. He's got passion. He's got vision. And he goes and he starts prophesying, but he runs into resistance. They don't want to hear a word he says. Last week we talked about how the Ezekiel had to stomp his feet, clap his hands and yell just to get their attention to give them a prophecy. Act like a crazy man so he could get the attention. His bubble was burst just like that. I've seen young men get on fire for God and they go out there and they think they're gonna take the world by storm. They think, I'll get my own church. I'll get my own ministry. I'll get my own youth department. I'll get the, boy, when I do, it's just going to blow up. And only for, and when they get there, they find out it isn't the way they thought or the way they perceived. And now Ezekiel's got a busted bubble again. Everything he felt inside. If there's one thing I want you to know, everything you feel, everything you believe, everything that's real to you may not be felt or come to be believed by the people that you minister to or even the people that you love, even the people that's around you. There are times it's a lonely path when God puts things in your heart and no one else seems to even recognize it. You preach your heart out and think, oh man, this is good stuff. God gave it to me. Man, it's a revelation of the Lord only for, do what? That was his audience. Think about how this young man, he's 30 years old, folks. This is happening to him. Ezekiel, just like everyone else, had to wear down the spiritual hedge of deception upon the people with his consistency. Three things God spoke to me about if the palace is going to be able to go into their full calling and, and be really bring the, the revival and the awakening that we desire. We have to be persistent, unwavering, and steadfast. The things that are going to change overnight it ain't going to change in a moment. Some of it's going to be hard. Some of it's going to be uh, uh, full of pain. Some of it's going to be great difficulty. But God's promises, if we'll be consistent like Ezekiel, if we'll be steadfast, if we'll be consistent, not be wavering in our faith, God's going to bring about the things that we think to pass. They're going to happen. Ezekiel was called to prophesy God's word to a generation that would not change its lifestyle. And to a people as a whole whose hearts would remain hardened. God himself addressed them as rebellious house in Ezekiel chapter 2 verse 1, 12, 21, 14, 1, 21, on and on and on. How many times he said, you're a rebellious people, you're a rebellious house. Ezekiel was characterized by God as a prophet who was living among briars and thorns and living among scorpions. Not speaking of the Babylonians, the enemy, but speaking about Judah itself. Said Judah is nothing but briars and thorns. How would you like God to come down and say, Palace of Praise just full of people that's briars and thorns and scorpions? Like Jesus looking at the Pharisees, you're, you're full of dead men's bones, you're hypocrites, you're vipers, you're snakes. And this is what God's saying about Judah, the people, he's not talking about the enemy. That ain't the classification of what he said about the Babylonians. He said, Judah, you're a bunch of thorns, you're a bunch of briars, you're a bunch of scorpions. Ezekiel, that's the people you're ministering to. God called them imprudent and stiff-hearted people in the book of Ezekiel 2.4. And we can go on and on. You would think that the captives would have at least got the message after five years of captivity, wouldn't you? 
Five years has gone by, nothing's changed. They haven't even changed. There's no movement or aggression to repentance. Why? Because they don't even really recognize or understand or see where they're at. They're blinded. They're just like their relatives over there in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, though they're at home, they're still bound because they're full of idolatry and they're rebellious, they're infested with iniquity and they got all kinds of transgressions. They haven't even repented. A third wave's fixing to come and Jerusalem's fixing to be destroyed. One third's gonna be burned. One third's gonna be cut down by the sword. One third of the people's gonna be scattered to the four corners of the earth. Another several years before that happened, so they'd have time to repent. And Jerusalem never did repent, and Jerusalem was lost. Ezekiel had to be willing to be a minister to an audience of one. He was faithful to speak all that God told him to speak. He was able to tell what all God told him to tell. And he had an audience of one which was God. He didn't care what the people said. And over a period of time, the scripture even indicates that the people begin to find this of this. There's two more points I want to make. That, 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 that these are the two main points that God wants me to get over to this congregation to recognize what we're living in, the air that we're living in, the spirit that we're living in. Over a period of time, the scripture even indicates that the people begin to enjoy and to hear Ezekiel's words because of his style and passion in which he delivered it. They were even attracted to his voice, it declares in there. You've heard people say, man, that guy's got a good preacher's voice. Have you ever heard that? Have you heard people, I, you know, he was a good preacher, but I just really couldn't pay attention to him because he just didn't have the voice. Right. Amen? Amen? And here they were attracted to Ezekiel's voice. He must have had a voice like me. <laughs> Amen? About time you lighten up a little bit. They loved his tone, his penetrated authoritative sound. They enjoyed the rhythm of the words given. You know, preachers get into a rhythm. They'll get to going. And, man, when you get in that perfect rhythm, the church comes alive. They like that rhythm. Boom. You know, it's when that preacher's preaching on him and he goes, and then he preaches on him, and then he preaches on He's in the rhythm. They like that rhythm. They like that style. They got to look into Noah Ezekiel. They enjoyed all the different methods, the illustrations, all those illustrations we went through last week. Man, they got to watching this guy. Man, look at him. He become a showman. He become an entertainer. To her. Man, what's he going to come up with next? They were curious, so they started gathering. They quit resisting hearing him, and they come to watch him minister. Think that's a positive thing, don't we? With everything that's going on in our houses of God today, they're filling up in many places across the but why are they there? Man, they began to like him. They enjoyed all the illustrations. They enjoyed all the different methods, which made his preaching captivating and appealing and interesting. But there was a problem. They still rejected his truth. They gathered. They liked the feel. They liked what it created. They liked the atmosphere. But they didn't really listen to what he said. Jeremiah said this about, listen to this, I've never seen this before. Ezekiel, he says, you are like to them, like a sensual song by one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. You do well. For they hear your words, but they don't practice them. In other words, he says, Ezekiel, you're captivating. You're exciting to be around. You're full of passion. These people really enjoy your ministry. They enjoy your messages. 
They like your illustrations, but they're more addicted to your delivery and style than they are the, the words that you speak. This is where America's at. This is the audience that you and I are preaching to around outside of the realm of the church. We're faced with the same situation. And that is why that God spoke to me and he said, I'm going to give you an Ezekiel and anointing because before it's over, we're going to get into this next week. We're not going to finish today at all. We're not even going to get close to finishing. But I want you to understand there is breakthrough coming. Amen. America's not lost. Come on, somebody. Hot on my son. No matter how dark I'm preaching today, next week we're going to preach a little bit of a different tune. We have people that love the tones, the voices, the passionate deliveries, the authoritative rhythm, the voice of power. They like the sensual song, according to Jeremiah, but they don't like the words in which it sings. I have sinners all the time say, man, I love your preaching, Brother Miller. You preach it like it is. Keep on, brother. They love the passion. They love the energy. They love the power. But somehow they reject the reality of the truth behind it. They walk right outside, unchanged, never transformed, living in their sin, loving me as a preacher, love, won't go anywhere else, wouldn't think about going anywhere else. They love the feel of the preaching. They enjoy the atmosphere that's created by it and what it produces. They like the impact that the Spirit causes. They love the promises that it gives, but they reject compliance to the Spirit's leading and the message that God wants to penetrate their heart with. Amen? It's like when I was a young teenager. Some of you might have been like me. I, this is the way it was with me. There were certain songs, you turned it on, boom. Man, I love that song. And it would affect me. I love the beat. I love the mood. I love the atmosphere it created. I love the feel. How many's got those kinds of things? Amen? But there's some of those songs I couldn't tell you any of the lyrics. I could sing parts of them. Some of you cut them songs, you think, man, some of them you can sing the whole song. I understand that. But there's some of those songs that I loved. I could sing bits and pieces, just phrases of them. And the other day, there was an old song. Somebody, you know this old song? And I said, yeah. And I started singing. They said, why'd you quit? I said, that's all the song I ever knew. <laughs> but I like the song. Am I the only one like that? If you're like that, just raise your hand. Let me have some compromise. All right. You know what that means? That we love the mood. We love what it created. We like the results of it. But we didn't understand that the power was not in the music itself, but the power of the song was really in the intent of its message and the words and the lyrics of which it was given. You may love my preaching. You may like it because I yell a little bit, spit a lot, and jump around a lot and all that. You know what? I'm glad that you like it. But what's more important is that you adhere to the message and the with the passion that I'm delivering it with. Can I have an amen? With everything that Judah had been through, the people really didn't understand why they were even in captivity. Why are we here? Why are we in Babylon? What did this happen for? And then they just begin to, well, we got to make the best of it. We'll just settle here. No change in their life. The judgment didn't even bring change. 
How can they not know? They heard the warnings of the prophecies of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, Daniel, and now Ezekiel and many others. But they were clueless of why they were in captivity. They even asked Ezekiel, why are we here? More or less. Ezekiel sitting there probably scratching his head. You mean you didn't hear Jeremiah? You mean you didn't hear Isaiah? He kind of got to thinking, well, bless God, I'm not the only one they didn't hear. Bless God, I... (laughs) I kind of feel a little bit better about myself right now because they didn't hear Micah's words. They didn't hear Isaiah's words. They didn't hear Jeremiah's words either. These people are stiff-necked and rebellious and so blinded, they don't even know why. They don't even really realize that they are in captivity. Not only are we clueless in America, but we have churches and pastors that preach against the thought that God even judges America. It isn't just the world resisting truth, folks. The greatest conflict that we have in our day is the church resisting truth. For a message of true biblical holiness, sanctification, and purity to be preached in today's culture in the church is like preaching legalism to them. An outdated rhetoric among among, uh, 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 among the nations of the elite churches of today, they say that's a bunch of nonsense. It was like Ezekiel's message. They weren't popular, even though the mainstream lacked its passion in which it was delivered. They rejected the content of the message itself and considered it irrelevant and not connected to the times. Said, oh, that's, you know, that's kind of like now. You get up and start, oh, that's for back then. Oh, that's for back then. Everything's always for back then. In other words, God expected the, old, the people of the past to live differently than us today, that the standards he's changed along the way. Come on, somebody. Am I preaching okay this morning? As we said last week, Ezekiel's message would not have been number one on social media. I want you to know they were not a popular, they wouldn't draw crowds, really. The only thing that would draw the crowds is style and his his illustrations and his methods and things like that. But, you know, his words were hard. He'd be in Facebook jail for sure. He'd be banned by Twitter. He'd be unplugged by YouTube. I was unplugged by YouTube yesterday, last week. YouTube said, you can't preach that on here. Did you know that we have Iranian propaganda expressing themselves on Twitter while conservative American voices, even senators and congressmen's voices are being banned and being permanently um, uh, cut off? Can you imagine that? That's a different story. Let me, let me, let me get away from my notes because we're going to be here too long. Ezekiel finally says, man, we got a problem. What's our problem? How are we going to overcome this? God then says, okay, he comes by in chapter 8. And this is the first part of chapter 8. Verse 3, we'll deal with next week where he picks him up by the lock of the hair and carries him over to Jerusalem, places him down. But where I want you to notice is that when he gets there, he walks into the north gate of the inner court. And there at the temple is built an altar of jealousy. The word altar of jealousy, the jealousy part remains that it's referring to God being jealous over Israel. As a matter of fact, if you'll go to the Ten Commandments, you're going to find out where God says, don't make any graven images and don't be setting up all these four-footed beasts and all that stuff. And he said, because I am a God that visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation, and I am a jealous God. Jeremiah says that not only is he jealous, but they provoked him sore and he became angry with them. And that's where Ezekiel was at. 
and he was dealing with a people that God was angry at. God had had a belly full of the sin of the, of the children of Israel, of the children of Judah. And God says, I'm angry with this stiff-necked bunch. I'm upset with them. And he says, I'm jealous of what they've done. Look at this altar of jealousy. It was in the form of a bell uh, uh, idol. We don't know which one because there were, you know, they worshiped everything. Good night. They made all kinds of different statues. We don't know what statue was there, but it was one of the forms of bell worship. And God said, look at the, he called it, look at the abomination that they've done here at the temple. Can I just preach out of my heart, my overflow right now? And God says, look here, Ezekiel. Now, he's transported there by God to see this. Ezekiel only goes back to Jerusalem twice in his lifetime. Once now, and once we'll get into next week in, uh, in Ezekiel chapter 47. He dies. He never is able to go back and live, but yet he's brought there by the Spirit two different times in his ministry. And here he is. He's 31 and Years old and six months at this time, according to the scripture. He's standing and he sees the altar of jealousy. And God says, look at the abomination that they've done here at the temple, around the temple. He says, now look in. And he looks in and there's a hole in the wall. He said, dig about the hole of the wall. He digged about the hole wall and there's a secret chamber, a door. And God says, there's a secret room they've put up. Look at it. It's a secret room. Open the door and go in, Ezekiel. Ezekiel goes into the door and there's idols everywhere. And he names a lot of them. The, the, the images of four beasts, four-footed beasts. And he names the images of birds and all, all kinds of different things. And he says they're plastered all over the walls or on the floors. And he says, look at the abominations they do in this place. It's even worse than the statute that they got out here. It's in the hidden room, the secret room, the one they don't think that I see. And matter of fact, I don't have the scripture before me, but I got it in my notes. But God even literally says, listen to what the people say. And he says, oh, Ezekiel, I want you to know that the door that you've opened is full of abominations. But the people say that God does not see us. I want you to know there's nothing hidden that is not revealed. There's nothing covered up that shall not be made known. God sees it all. And then they say that God is no longer the God of the earth. He has withdrew himself. He's no longer the God of creation. Their concept is that God don't even get involved with the affairs of men anymore. That he's not even over the God of creation anymore. He's not a God of power. He's not a God that wants to come alongside of you and bless you and strength. They lost the very knowledge of their relationship with God. Now hold it. He says, come out of this room. Let me take you to another room to where there's worse abominations. So he takes him down a hallway, open the door, and he goes in. All kinds of abominations. He says, shut the door. Let me take you down the hallway where there's even now more worse abominations. So he comes out. He goes down the wall, goes into another door. There's more worse abominations. Each door that was open was more vile than the door before. That's what sin has done to America. That's what sin does to a life. You think you get by with it. You think you got it concealed. You think there's no immediate judgment. There's no 
right now any consequences to what I'm doing. But when you open that door, it leads you to a darker door. And then you'll go through that door and you can't get enough. And then it'll lead you to another darker door. And then another darker door. And then another darker door. And then you wake up one day and think, how in the world did I get here where I'm at? And sin takes you further than you want to go and keeps you longer than you want to stay, we always say. You start out drinking, oh, just a little sip of beer. Then a can a day. Then one for supper and one for lunch. Then a six pack at night. Woo! Then a case for the week. Then two cases. And now you're passing out. You're urinating all over yourself. You're having marital problems. What does it do? It puts you into captivity and slavery. And God says, this is the reason that they are in captivity. This is the reason that they are where they're at. Go tell them. So Ezekiel goes back and says, this saith the word of the Lord. And he begins to preach to them what God had shown him. God even showed him 70 ancient Israelites that had literally worshiped the gods and had different rooms for every one of their idols, 70 different rooms, and showed them in a vision of them going through the ritual and how they worshiped them. God took him back in time. God said, look what they done. And even though the ordinary people out there in society may have not understood all of the perversion of the temple, yet the perversion of the temple and everything that went in it with the priest affected the way that the ordinary people lived. Everybody in the whole country wasn't caught up in that, but because the leadership was, it affected the nation. Folks, what our leaders do in the White House affects the way that you and I live. Ezekiel begins to prophesy. We have these preachers nowadays that tell you, well, judgment. I want to tell you why we're at where we're at right now in America. All right, you ready for it? You can laugh at me, mock me, get mad at me. It don't matter. We're where we're at because we're under judgment. America's under judgment. Well, no, now judgment is ref- it's, it's reserved to uh, tribulation. It's what the new modern day church says, says, no, 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 no. Judgment, God don't put judgment on his people. God reserves judgment to the tribulation period. No, if that's true, then he's got to go repent to Israel, to Chorazan, to Bethsaida, to uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, oh, come on, to Ananias and Sapphira, who's under grace in the New Testament. He's, got to, he's even got to apologize to the fig tree. Places, things, people are being judged today because of the sins of America. We're under judgment. The things that's going on, folks, are you not watching the news and seeing how serious things could get and how fast they can get? Are you seeing the inflation rising? You know what God says in the next move? He said, you know what I've done? I took away their ability to buy food. I took away the ability for their cattle to reproduce. I took away their ability to be able to go and get what they need. I brought famine to the land. Amen. 
We're seeing every, we have been warned and warned. We have Joseph, we have Jonathan Kahn, who is revealed to America through his preaching and teaching about the nine harbingers of judgment that's coming to America. And it is so profound, it's unbelievable. And people are not listening. We have Troy Brewer who has studied the signs of the stars and the eclipse and the, and the comets and all of that and everything that they've been seeing and how the comet went across seven Salems of America and the next comet come from this way and it joined up at a place called Salem which means peace and rest but it means repentance and God is speaking through the heavens to America. Repent, 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 repent. We have the preachers that's been preaching for years. We've had the prophets that's been prophesied. And you know what the new modern day church says? The things I'm preaching today, there's no place for it behind the pulpit of America. Well, who in the world do they think them prophets prophesied to? They prophesied to kings and national leaders. And they didn't just prophesy to the people of God. Oh, I don't know how I'm getting off on that. But Ezekiel said, one thing I noticed he said, when I got to Jerusalem, he said, when I walked through that north gate, the God of jealousy was standing over, but when I looked over the city, the glory of the Lord was there. But when Ezekiel goes through the temple, sees everything that he sees, and he comes out, the glory of the Lord had departed. And God says, this is why the glory of the Lord has departed. <laughs> Look at all these notes. Man, I wasted my time this week. <laughs> this is the part I want to get to and I'll close. When the glory leaves, captivity comes. There's times that God's long-suffering and patience with us. King Saul was a tyrant, didn't live right, but yet he was anointed of God at one time and was used of the Lord, and yet he had a backslidden heart, was jealous of David, tried to kill David and hounded him and tried to keep him from becoming king and you know the story, how the spirit of the Lord, it says, departed from Saul and the evil spirit came upon him, but it didn't happen overnight. There was years in there that God's mercy was with him. And he, though he would throw a javelin at David and get raging mad, have fits and get off out in tangents that was ungodly as a leader, yet he'd go sit among the prophets and prophesy and his prophecies would come true. There's a grace period. But one day, the Bible says that an evil spirit, the spirit of the Lord departed off of that man and an evil spirit came upon him. And from that day on, he lived with an evil spirit and he died a suicidal death. When the glory leaves, captivity comes. When you're in your bondage, when you're in your sin and you're sitting there fighting and God's glory is with you and his grace is with you and he's loving you, but when a belly full, get, when he gets a belly full, all of a sudden, 
that leads over into captivity. He gives way to where you're completely into captivity. Captivity comes and you find yourself in bondage and you find yourself in slavery. You find yourself in torment and you find yourself away from God. That his spirit's no longer there. There are six things that Ezekiel teaches us about the glory which should be a sermon. It could be a sermon in all six of them. Number one, we can be God's people and not have the glory of God. Number two, God's glory is not an experience, it's a presence. That glory can be grieved, offended, and insulted, and quenched, and rejected. The glory doesn't follow God's people. God's people follow the glory. That will preach. Glory's fragile to God's people. It's easy insulted. But I want to tell you, it's fearful to God's enemy. Number five, God's people don't know that they're lost. God's people don't even know that they lost the glory of God until they need the power of God to deliver them from the things it's caused because of the lack of hedge. Like Samson, he went out as before and shook himself, knew not that the glory of God or the presence of God had departed from me. God's glory will not do things for us until he allows the glory to do things in us. And I'm here to tell you today that we as a people, we got a heavy mandate, we got a heavy assignment. Our nation's full of sin and debauchery. The things that's happened in America is unbelievable. We have present day leadership that's wanting to give crack pipes to addicts. And they're saying, well, and their slogan is, does the addict's life don't matter? Yeah, it matters, but I wanna tell you something. Don't try to kill him and don't try to, don't try to help him in that area. Deliver him. Come on, somebody. The things that's going on in America is demonic. We're out here protecting everybody's borders around the world, and we don't even protect our own border. And Fox News showed demon-possessed people coming over the other day. Did you see that on the news? Laura Ingalls nailed it. They, the girls going crazy and, and all that kind of stuff. And everybody said, what is this? And Laura Ingalls said, that's demon possession. It's filtering in. It's gathering. That's what America's becoming. It's becoming a nation of wickedness. And if you're not burdened, and I'm here to tell you, ministry ain't never going to be like ministry was in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. There's got to be some adjustments here. There's got to be more power. If we don't have the glory, we will be led into captivity. And the whole scenario of what God tells Ezekiel, and I love this. He said, Ezekiel, I know that you were hurt. I know that you didn't understand my plan. I know that you didn't understand why I allowed the things to happen to you that happened. I know that you were set to be a priest in the tabernacle. I know that that was your desire, that was your family's heritage, that would be your calling and you would follow suit and that you would honor your family well and they would be proud of you. And I know that you didn't have that opportunity, Ezekiel. I know that everything that you dreamed, everything that you wanted, everything that you had in scope and planned for your life, how that it all just crashed in a moment of time over one time of being led out of captivity and you looked at it as, oh well, I've lost because of the nation's sin. He said, but not really. I'm the one that orchestrated that in your life. 
And I will tell you why. Number one, I needed you to preach to this rebellious people. But number two, I'm going to pick you up by the lock of the hair and I'm going to take you to Israel. I'm going to take you through and I'm going to show you the abomination. This is what I kept you from because this is what you would have became. I kept you from being this. I kept you from being a priest like that. What you thought was destroying you and me being mean, it was me loving you and protecting you. And when you don't understand why things are going on in your life the way they are, it's because God's protecting you from things that's unseen. And God's bringing you to a better place of ministry than what you could have ever imagined. You can't understand why that Maybe someone left out of your life, a partner, a business partner, a spouse, or whatever. Well, number two, God can either redeem that, or if not, God's even got somebody better for you and better for your business and better for your home than what you ever anticipated or ever even thought. You don't know where that was going to lead you. You didn't know where that was going to take you. God said, all your hopes and aspirations, uh, though you was uh, pure in your heart, I'll still allow you to be a priest for a moment and go back and be a righteous priest and walk through that place with the anointing. And when he walked in, let me tell you, every wimp of hell that felt like it had the temple in bondage, when Ezekiel showed up and walked in, that place again felt the anointing and the glory of God upon a man by the name of Ezekiel. God even told Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 14, he said, I'll tell you how bad this bunch is. If Noah and if Job and if Daniel was here in all of their righteousness, their righteousness would only save themselves, but it would not make one bit of difference in saving the people because they're that vile. Would you stand with me, please? We got to fight for our life. It's serious. Now, we love sermons like last week was upbeat. We're roaring. We're screaming. Man, we're having, ooh, it was a flow in here. The atmosphere was charged. Man, the old song was being sung like old Jeremiah said. Amen. But how about today? Are we hearing the word of the Lord? What's the adjustments that God needs to make in our lives? What's the things that's hidden? What's the things that, you know, we're dealing with them, but we, get, we need God's grace more than ever to get rid of it. I don't want a church that just comes and likes the hot times and the shouting and the experience of the liberty and the message of hope that creates the atmosphere of expectation and where there's that feel of, uh, of unity and feel of freedom and oh yeah that's what happens when the spirit moves across but I want a people that not only feel that and experience that I want a people that's able to produce that because when they hear the word of the Lord they give themselves over to the changing hand of God to where the glory of God cannot just be a moment when they come and experience it at a church service but it comes into their temple and they carry the glory of God everywhere they go that they're an ark of a covenant themselves, that the glory of God dwells in, to wherever they go, they can be in Ezekiel and make a difference in the land in which they're at. And they will preach and they'll proclaim, they'll not back down, they will not cave in to the pressures of an evil culture, but they'll declare, this saith the word of the Lord.
this morning I'm asking, is there anybody, I'm not even going to have an altar call other than, is there anybody here that needs to deal with some things? It's time to, that we deal with it openly. Say, yeah, I need to deal with some things. I got, I got to have some changes. I, I, I'm like a roller coaster, man. I'm up, down, in, out. I got problems. I, I've got this little thing that's a stronghold in my life. The grace of God's with me right now. But like you said, I just keep opening doors and opening doors. And the more doors I open, the more abominations it grips me. The darker it gets, the heavier it gets, the more influence it has over me, the more power it grips me. I find myself at one time could have laid it down, but I can't lay it down no more. I'm, I'm trapped. I'm becoming lost. I'm falling away into captivity. I don't want you to go to captivity. I want you to come up here and we're going to pray for you and you're going to be delivered in Jesus' name. Whether it's drugs, alcohol, pornography. Come on, God knows the intent of your heart. He knows the hidden things of your thoughts. It might be anger, it might be jealousy. Is there anybody else? Out of all this congregation, are we going to be open and honest? Mm. It's easy to have everybody come and we can hide in the crowd, but there's a difference when you just step out and admit it, man. I got to pray today. I got to pray today. Look at the people that love him. These are Ezekiel's that's got around a man. They're saying, I got a struggle in my life. I need some more brothers over here to this guy. Is there any others? Thank God for these that's come. Don't mean they're backslidden as of yet. Yes, they're coming. They're coming. Can I have some ladies, please? Love on her. Whatever's going on in her life, the hurts, I sense hurt. Disappointment. Is there any others this morning? Yes. Any others this morning? Folks, the Holy Ghost is moving on people right now, believe it or not. He's speaking to hearts. Is there any others? Father, right now in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray over this congregation. Father, I pray that everything that is out there in our world that is sinful, ungodly, that lures people into those dark doors of abominations, that leads them down a path, God, that is destructive, that leads them down to a path that God, one day they'll wake up. They keep saying, I'm gonna free myself, I'm gonna free myself, but they can't free themselves outside of you. Help us to call upon the name of the Lord. Help them to call upon you, Father. Deliver each and every one in this building that has not been obedient by coming up to this altar today. Father, if we want what you've got for our land, we have to be honest. We have to be open. We have to allow you to make adjustments in our lives. We can't just settle in our indifference. God, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now that you would begin to speak, that you would begin to minister, that you would begin to teach. Right now, in Jesus' name, love on your congregation. Let them feel the conviction of the Holy Ghost. Let them be brought in love. God, transformed by your mighty power to be broken from the enslavement 
and the captivity and the bondage of sin. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. We want you to come out tonight. Make sure you're here next Sunday morning. We're going to get into some great stuff. We're going to be in the same text. God bless you. You're dismissed. Oh, shit.